You know, Mike uh, started uh, our service today kind of talking about the seasons. It's a strange day. Uh, The sun is out, but it is cold. Um, You know, it's interesting to think that each and every single one of us sort of moves through different sort of seasons uh, and stages in our life. Um, Spiritually speaking, we go through times of winter, uh, don't we? Times when life seems dark and cold and bitter and barren. Uh, We go through times of spring, times of hope and resurrection, where there's sort of a new song in the air. We don't really have that in Vermont. We have mud season, right? Uh, Things when, a time of life when everything sort of seems a little bit messy, maybe a little bit uh, uh, up in the air. Is it going to be 65 degrees today or is it going to be 25? Um, We feel like a little bit stuck. Uh, It's tough going. We have spiritual summers when the sun is out, the boats are on the lake, we've got a creamy in our hands, and everything seems to be going just right. And also spiritual autumns, times where, uh, of life marked by profound beauty, uh, even as it um, seems that things are being stripped away. Um, in whatever season uh, you are in, uh, or uh, find yourself making the transition into I want you to know that there's a God of love who's pursuing you and and inviting your prayer. Uh, Today's uh, section um, of the the, the verses that we're looking at today really pertain to prayer. We're nearing the end uh, of James's letter. There's only two weeks left in our series uh, in the book of James. And as James is wrapping things up, Uh, He's calling our attention to the necessity of and the power of prayer. Prayer is clearly the topic uh, of this section. I don't know if you noticed it, but in every single verse, every single verse, uh, the word prayer is mentioned at least once. Today's passage raises um, and answers three questions. When should we pray? How should we pray? And what makes our prayers powerful? Three questions. When should we pray? How should we pray? And what makes our prayers powerful? I want you to know that before we dive into this, um, I'm not speaking to you uh, as an expert on prayer. I'm still very much uh, a student. Uh, Someone said that, uh, you know, uh, the best things in life never come easy. Uh, and by that token, prayer has got to be one of the greatest things because it is so hard, right? It's, it is a great thing, but it's also very difficult. Um, and so I'm not uh, addressing you uh, simply, um, yeah, as an expert. I'm, I'm also talking to you as someone who needs to be addressed, uh, that God is addressing us all, uh, myself included, as we look at James and, and really try to hear his wis- uh, God's wisdom uh, from right this page. So, just a qualification here, okay? I'm with you. Well, let's look at James uh, 5, uh, verses 13 and 14. In these first two verses, James is saying uh, that we ought to pray on bad days as well as good. Uh, When everything seems to be going wrong, uh, but also when everything seems to be going just right. He asks, uh, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you sick? 
Is anyone among you in trouble? You know, are you jobless or facing economic hardship? Are you anxious and or depressed? Are you suffering a broken leg? Are you suffering a broken heart? Are you struggling with addiction? Are you watching a loved one die? Are you being persecuted uh, for your beliefs? Or do you know somebody else who's being persecuted for theirs? James's answer is let them pray. You might ask, well, what exactly are we to pray for? For the suffering to stop? Or for the trial to end? I mean, it certainly makes sense. And there's certainly biblical warrant for that. Um, the Psalms, uh, for example, uh, are full of prayers for deliverance. And what's more, God says that we ought to pray for peace and justice, uh, for everything wrong to be made right again. The second petition uh, of the Lord's Prayer is the most notable example of this. And when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that's not the only sort of prayer to offer up in times like these when we are sick or suffering. There are other things that you can pray for as well. And it's probably this other thing that James has in mind here. In chapter 1 of James's letter, James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Eight verses later, in one twelve, James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And in the passage just before ours, in chapter 5, verses 7 to 11, James says, Be patient. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Remember the steadfastness of Job. In other words, right? Rather than pray for a change of circumstance, which may or may not come right away, pray for steadfastness. Pray for wisdom. Pray for perspective. Isn't it so true that when we suffer, uh, all we can see is what is right there in front of us? But when we pray, we're lifted out of our situation as it were, and we can see things from God's perspective, uh, if only for a moment. And even that brief moment uh, is incredibly helpful when we're praying, we're not so much leaving uh, our suffering so much as recognizing that there's a God with us in the midst of it. The pain is still there. Uh, but we see that the pain is not all that there is. Right? There is, as it were, a light at the end of the tunnel. And Jesus is not simply going to be there to meet us at the end of it. But Jesus is even here with us in the midst of it. And he will support and sustain and guide us there. It's not just um, on bad days or tough seasons 
uh, that we're supposed to pray. Uh, We're to pray on good days as well. In Romans 1, uh, Paul says that what wounds God and angers God is not simply that we don't honor Him as God, but that we don't give Him thanks. And we don't give Him thanks. Why is that such a big deal? Not honoring God uh, or not giving God thanks. Well, just think about your own experience uh, with something like this. You all know the difference between being used by somebody versus being loved by somebody. There are some people in your life who never call you, who never talk to you, unless they need something from you. Maybe it's money, or car keys, or snowblower, or whatever. Right? They're always there when they need something, but otherwise you can't really count on them uh, to show up. Alternatively, there are people in your life who call on you, but not necessarily to get something from you. They call on you because they want to check in on you, right, to see how you're doing. They ask you questions, and significantly, they remember your answers. They take an interest in your life and want to be a part of it. And they also invite you into their life as well. The first person is using you, right, but the second person is loving you. Well, how do you know what kind of person you are? It's pretty simple, actually. Do you only pray when you're in trouble? Or do you pray as much when you're happy? Are you a taker? Or are you a giver and a giver of thanks? Do you just want God's stuff? Or do you want to get to know God? God knows the answers to these questions. He knows. And just as much as you hate feeling uh, being used... Well, God hates it too. Which is why James says, no matter the situation or the season that you're in, whether you're sick or you're suffering or you're cheerful, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, go to God in prayer. Talk to Him. Love and be loved. This brings us to um, our second question. How should we pray? The first question is, when should we pray? Uh, The second question is, how? How do we do it? Well, as already discussed, um, our prayer should be characterized by petition, right? As well as praise and thanksgiving. What's more, we're not just to pray for our own needs, which you see in verse 13, right? Let him pray. But we're also to pray for the needs of others. Verse 16, pray for one another. How else? Right? How else should we pray? In this passage, uh, James hints that prayer is not just a solitary act, uh, but a communal one as well. It's a solitary act, but it's also a communal uh, act as well. Uh, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says that when you pray, you need to go into your room, shut the door, uh, and pray to your Father who's in secret. There ought to be times in your life uh, when you're just praying just you and God. It's just you and him. You know, most of you know um, that I'm married, and and my wife is Megan uh, in the back, right? Uh, We've been married uh, for five years. If I only addressed Megan um, when there were other people in the room, that would be strange. Uh, Our marriage would be dysfunctional, right, to say the least. Um, In order for us to have a healthy marriage, uh, we need date nights, Uh, We need uh, one-on-one time. 
And by the same token, if you're going to have a good and healthy relationship with God, uh, there needs to be one-on-one time uh, with Him too. You've got to take time where you're actually getting to know Him and allowing yourself to know that He knows you uh, as well. But that's not all, right? Uh, Just as much as we need one-on-one time, we also need uh, you all. We need community and friends. Which is to say that there are times in your life, in your prayer life, uh, where you need to be praying with other people. Look at what James writes uh, in verses 14 uh, to 16. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. Uh, What's going on? What James is saying is that there are particular times in your life and mine Uh, When we cannot muster the spiritual, mental, emotional, or even the physical strength to pray. And we need other people to be there to pray with us and to pray for us. This is especially so when we are sick, discouraged, uh, and or burdened by sin. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer emphasizes the importance of Christian community which is to say, being part of a church. It's really important. In the words of Bonhoeffer, right, the Christian, and I quote, right, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's words to him. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Again, Bonhoeffer writes, A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. Our brother, and this is key, our brother has been given me that our brother has been given me that even here and now I may be made certain through him of the reality of God and his judgment and his grace. Mutual brotherly confession is given to us by God in order that we may be sure of divine forgiveness. It's a long quote, but hear what he says, right? Mutual brotherly confession is given to us by God in order that we may be sure of divine forgiveness. Do you hear what Bonhoeffer is saying? He's saying that if we are not connected to the church, if we are not part of a community of faith, right, it's easy for the gospel uh, to be stuck at the level of abstraction. We might understand statements like, God is love, God loves you, right? God forgives you cognitively. But if we're not in community, it's hard for us to know these things experientially. However, when you find a Christian preaching the gospel to you, or when a Christian sits and cries with you when you're suffering, 
When a Christian makes you a home-cooked meal, when you're too tired or too sore to do the same, when, a, when you confess your sins and a Christian says you're forgiven, right, at that moment, the love, care, and forgiveness of God are no longer abstract ideas. Right? They are lived into realities. It's at those moments that you can say with full assurance, right? God really does care for me. Like God really does listen to me. God really does weep with me. God really does forgive and accept me. We need to pray alone. Right? But we also need to do life together. And we need to be praying together. What else does James say in this paragraph about how we ought to pray? Well, he hints that when we pray, we're to pray with boldness, uh, but not presumption. Right? We're to pray boldly, but we're not to presume that there's only one way for God to answer that particular prayer. And you see this principle at work in verse 14. If you look at James 5.14, he says, Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What's that all about? right? Praying uh, with oil. In order to understand what James is saying here, it's kind of helpful to know a little bit about first century medicine. Right? Like, I didn't know anything about it. Well, that's okay. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, right? In James's uh, day and age, oil wasn't just for consecrating people. Okay, oil was medicine. Uh, in the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan approaches the beat-up man, and he binds up his wounds, and he pours oil and wine upon him. And the Good Samaritan is not making a vinaigrette. Okay, the Good Samaritan is healing him. Right? Wine was used as an antiseptic. It was something to sterilize wounds. And oil was used to soothe and to soften the body. It had medicinal purposes. The implication here is that James is saying, when we go to pray to heal somebody, we need bold prayer, but we also need really good doctors. Right? Prayer is powerful, but so is medicine. And very often, God works in and through medicine to answer the prayers of the people. we got quite a few med students in here. We also have nurses. Uh, We have counselors. Yours is a holy vocation. It's really important. You know, when people pray for healing, God is working in you and through you uh, to answer people's prayers. And for all of us in this room, praying with oil, like praying with medicine, it doesn't make us less bold, right? It doesn't make us less uh, spiritual. You're still bold. You're still saying, God, please heal this person. Uh, But you're not being presumptuous, right? The prayer of faith is saying, Lord, we're bringing this person to the doctors and we're bringing him to you. Use the doctors or don't use the doctors either way. Right, we're asking you to heal. Right, you're you're praying boldly, but you're not presuming that God has to do it in one particular way. Um, you can think of it this way: it's like when your car breaks down. You could pray boldly, like God, please fix my car. And can God directly intervene in such a way that, like, you put the keys in the ignition and 
miraculously it fires up? Like, can God do that? Sure. I've actually heard stories about it. But more often than not, God is going to answer the prayer, God, fix my car by leading you to a good mechanic. Right? Pray boldly, but don't presume that there's one way that God has to answer your prayers, right? God works directly, but he also works indirectly. There's one other thing I'd like to point out before we move on to our third and final point. Talking about where do we get the the power? What makes uh, our prayers powerful? Before we go there, I just want to point out that we human beings are complex creatures. Okay, we're not just physical beings. We're not just a body. Uh, but we're not just spiritual beings either. Right? We're not just souls. We are physical, spiritual be- beings. And we are embodied souls. And what this means is that what we do to our bodies affects our souls. And what we do to our souls affects our body. Okay, for example... If you eat nothing but junk food, right, it'll affect your body. Right? It'll affect how you look on the outside. But it's also going to affect how you feel on the inside, too. It's not just that you would get fat. Right? Eating nothing but junk food can actually make you feel depressed. It'll affect your soul. Okay, at the same time, what you do to your body, or excuse me, what you do to your soul, shows up and affects your body. For example, worry and stress can cause a very real, very physical headache. Anger right, can cause very real, very physical ulcers in your colon. Anxiety can cause a very real, very physical uh, heart attack. And James in this section, right, he points out that he understands this connection. He recognizes that when we're going to pray to heal somebody... This is actually a really good opportunity to see if they, people need to confess or repent for their sins. He recognizes that while not every illness is the result of sin, right? sometimes sin is responsible. And sometimes it's the illness that actually aggravates the sin. Right? Maybe you've been hurt or handicapped in some way and you've realized like, this is actually making me angry at God. Right? This is actually an opportunity for you to pray, right? to confess, to be made right with God. In modern parlance, we could say, if you're going in for an x-ray, don't miss the opportunity to actually examine your soul. Right? If you're going to go in and get an x-ray, take the time to actually examine your soul. Like, is there something that I need to repent of? We're complex beings. Which is why, like, when we have problems... It's too reductionistic to say, just pray. And it's equally reductionistic to say, just give them meds, right? Like we need both. We need a holistic approach to human persons and human problems. And James gets that. And we ought to get that too. So far, okay, we've seen that we're to pray to God in all circumstances, at all times. On good days as well as bad. We're to pray for us and we're to pray for others. We're to pray alone and we're to pray in community. We're to pray with boldness but not presumption. Right? God can work in many different ways. Often not in the ways that we might expect Him to. And we're to pray in a balanced, holistic way. Right? Um, 
If we're going to pray for people to be clothed, it's probably a good idea that we actually show up with some clothes too, right? If we're going to pray for healing, it's not a bad idea to connect people with good doctors. All right, let's do both. We come now uh, to our final question. You know, what makes our prayers powerful? What makes our prayers powerful? Take a look uh, at verses 16, 17, and 18. James writes, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In this, in all these verses, they, they raise all sorts of questions. Uh, and if you're like me, maybe your heart sinks a little bit uh, as you read them. Because what do you need for your prayers to have power? James is pretty explicit. You need righteousness. It's righteousness that actually gives your prayers power. Again, if you're like me, you're like, dang it. Dang it. Because righteousness is the one thing I don't have. Actually, there's a lot of things I don't have, right? But righteousness is one of them, right? If you feel that, right, like I don't have righteousness, you'd actually be right, right? The Bible agrees with you. In Romans 3, we read the sobering truth. That none is righteous. Right? No, not one. All have turned aside. Together, we have all become worthless. No one is righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. Except. Right? Except one man. Jesus. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the only one. Right, who loved God with all of his mind and heart and soul and strength. Jesus is the only one who loved his neighbor uh, as himself. Jesus is the only one who kept the law of God perfectly and did not sin. Right? Jesus is the righteous one. And maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh, that's cool, neat, and good for him. Yay! Well, what does that have to do with me? You know, like, so what? Well, here's why this is significant and why this is really good news, right, for you and for me. God has told us repeatedly throughout the scriptures that when we let go of our own shoddy righteousness and we turn to Jesus and faith and ask Him for His, Jesus says, Sure, it's yours. The reformers put it this way. They said that our righteousness is an alien righteousness. They weren't talking about E.T., right? Our righteousness is an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes from outside of us. Everything that Christ has, everything that Christ has won, it's ours, right? He gives it to us. When we, per, when we put our faith and trust in Him, right, everything including His perfect righteousness. Friends, what we're doing when we pray in Jesus' name 
is we're praying with his righteousness. Okay, praying in Jesus' name is not some magic formula that we sort of add to the end of all of our prayers as if enunciating those words in Jesus' name would somehow, is like some way of like coercing God or twisting his arm to get him to do something he might not otherwise do. Okay? It's not a formula. It's not magic. Right? Praying in Jesus' name is ultimately about qualification and access. In his book on prayer, right, Tim Keller gives a very helpful illustration here. He tells the story of when he was a grad student, and he got to meet a very well-known speaker uh, after a lecture. And he writes, and I quote, He, the famous speaker, seemed distracted as he greeted other students with perfunctory pleasantries. I, however, was able to mention that I knew a friend of his. When I said the name, he immediately snapped to attention and spoke to me with warmth and interest. I got this kind of access to him, not in my own name, but in the name of our mutual friend. This is a very dim hint of how we have access to God the Father because we know Jesus, right? because we are in Christ. God focuses his almighty love and attention on us when we pray. Because Jesus has the perfect and secure access of an obedient child to the Father, so now do we when we pray in Jesus' name. I want you to think about what it takes to get into the White House uh, and to see the President of the United States. Like, what does it take to get into the White House and see the President? You know, only VIPs really have that kind of access. VIPs, but who else? Right? Michelle... Obama, right? Malia and Sasha, right? President Putin has to make an appointment to see Obama. And even then, he might say, no thanks. But Sasha and Malia have around-the-clock access to the most powerful man in the world. And we have around-the-clock access to the most powerful being in the world, right? The Lord, maker of heaven and earth our father, our friend. We have it because of our adoption in Christ. And Jesus calls the Lord and maker of the universe, Abba, my daddy. And when you put your faith in Christ, you get to do the same. (laughs) So with that in mind, let's go to uh, our father now and pray. Our Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We come into your throne room wearing his righteousness, with his robes of righteousness on. And we thank you that you hear us when we pray. Well, we need help knowing how to pray. And so, Jesus... We thank you that you taught us. That we know what to ask for. We would ask that your Father's name would be high and lifted up. That it would be hallowed and made holy. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
that your justice would go to all the corners of the earth and everything wrong would be made right. And that would start in our own life, in our own heart. We pray for our own needs to be met. We pray for reconciliation with you and with other people. We pray that you protect us from the evil that is within us and from the evil that is outside of us. And we pray that in and through all of these things, you would get the glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.